So my friend Matt's gonna read our scripture for us this morning, but so that we listen to it just a little bit differently, take it uh, a little more intentionally, I'm gonna ask that we all stand for the reading of scripture this morning. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies that our spirit, that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. You may be seated. Thank you, Matt. Some of you will know exactly what I mean by this, but uh, when you know that you're loved, like when you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are loved and cared for, it makes a big difference in your life. Uh, for instance, I want you to check out this short clip of, of dogs before and after they were adopted into families. So just a short clip of that. I mean, that, that's like a 14-minute video. I watched all of it. It's, it's wonderful. Um, but you just see like such a huge difference before when they were abandoned and when they were unloved to when they were part of a loving family and they knew they belonged. It made such a huge difference. And the thing I want us to see in our text in Romans 8 today is that belovedness calls forth newness. That when you know that you're loved, when you, when you are loved by God, it calls forth newness in your life. And God calls you beloved. He calls you a child. And that when you're, when you're loved and when you're secure, you're able to experience the, the goodness and the newness that otherwise would not be possible. So I want us to zoom in uh, in the middle of the scripture that we read this morning uh, on one short passage to start, because I think it's central to understanding what happens in the rest of our passage. Verse 14. Uh, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So if you uh, are interacting with your Bibles, you might want to underline that one. That's an important one. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. That, that what this text is getting at is that you are a child of God. And if you, if you want a faith that matters... Like if you want a faith that makes a difference in your life, makes a difference in the world, it starts here. It starts with a relationship. In fact, Scottish theologian uh, Tom Smale said that thinking about God is bound to remain remote, abstract, and woefully secondhand if you have no relationship with the God you are thinking about. So I don't know if, if those words, remote, abstract, and woefully secondhand, would describe the way some of you might feel about faith sometimes, but perhaps it's because you don't quite see yourself as a beloved child of God, that the God of the universe wants a relationship with you like a father wants a relationship with you. And so what, what's interesting is that like Romans 8, and in fact, the whole book of Romans can often seem very like heady and 
academic and esoteric and theological. And yet what we, what we get along the way in the text are these glimpses that it's really not about an information thing. It's not about getting all of our theological T's crossed and I's dotted. It's about a living relationship with God that makes a difference, that God desires for you to be his child. That's who he's made you to be. And he's made a way through the spirit for you to be his child. So let's look at how Romans 8 talks about the newness we experience as children of God. Verse 12. Verse 12 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So let's pause there. So in the previous verses, the author, uh, the Apostle Paul, the author, had been painting these, this picture of, of your life before God and your life after God. And he used the flesh to talk about your life before God, that sin and brokenness, that all the disobedience in our lives had crept in and infected our lives. And that was our before. But then our after is freedom in Christ. And, and it uses the word obligation. It says you don't have an obligation to your past life. You don't owe the flesh anything. In fact, the word obligation in the Greek was the word for debt, that you are not indebted to the flesh. Why? Because the flesh has never truly done anything for you. It's never actually led to life. In fact, it's led to death. So it uses death and life in a metaphorical sense. It's led to a spiritual death. But it says in verse 13, if you want to live and I can't help but think of uh, that classic movie, The Terminator, where Arnold says, if you want to live, come with me. I will not do an Arnold impersonation right here, mostly because I think I do good impersonations and my kids do not. So I will not make you suffer through that. But he says, if you want to live, come with me. If you want to live, if you want a life that's flourishing, if you want a soul that's alive, if you want newness in your own life, if you want the newness of Christ, it says what? That you must put to death the misdeeds of the body by the power of the spirit. The misdeeds meaning the sin, meaning the disobedience, meaning all the ways that we miss the mark of what we were meant for, all the selfish and broken ways that we allow to define our stories. He says that they have to be put to death. And so, uh, probably once a week, one of my kids will call me and they'll say, dad, I mean, just call out, not on the phone, maybe on the phone, depending on the day. And they'll say, dad, there's a spider in the hallway or in the bathroom or in the room. Can you come and kill it? And of course I do, because my, my girls are 15 and 12. There's, there's very little they ask me to do these days. And so if I can be a hero and kill a spider, um, and so uh, the other day they asked me, hey, there's a spider, it's like way up there. And so I like, you know, I get like a tissue and I'm like up on my toe and I'm like trying to get it. And I hit the spider, but then it wasn't in the tissue. And they were very disturbed, very disturbed. I'm like, I, 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 I killed it, but I don't have proof that I killed it. And the thing is, they don't just want the spider dead. They want the spider to be dead, dead. They want the spider to be dead, dead. They want proof beyond a shadow of a doubt that that spider is dead. And here's the thing. What, what the Apostle Paul is saying is we need sin to be dead, dead. We need sin to be dead, dead. And the only way for that to happen is in the power of the Spirit, not in our own strength, nothing we can do. We need the Spirit to do this for us. And here's how he does it. Skip down to verse 16. It says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. 
the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is God in you to remind you who you are, to tell you that you are a child of God, that God has the stranglehold on sin and death and he will not let go. He is your parent who loves you and who will make sin dead, dead. I mean, I think it's easy for us to settle It's easy to find ourselves settling for the best life that we can get in our own flesh. Because I don't know about you, I tend to think I'm competent. I tend to think I can do a good job. I can take care of myself. I can call on the aspects of my faith when I need to. I can be a good person, but I've got this. And what happens is, we end up submitting to the ways of our flesh over and over and over again. The Romans says that the only thing our flesh can lead to is death. And there's a reason for that. It's because no matter how good we are, no matter how competent we are, no matter how many good things that we do, no matter what we earn, we cannot eliminate sin and therefore sin will continue to raise its head. Sin is deadly. It must be destroyed. It cannot be pacified or restrained. It has to be dead, dead. Or we'll keep coming back over and over and over to destructive patterns of life that do not lead to new life, but lead us to death. But there is something the text tells us that will lead to new life. Verse 15, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, adoption to sonship. That is what leads to new life, adoption to sonship by the power of the Spirit. And so the the adoption metaphor is an important one because it goes all the way back to the Old Testament where God adopted and chose a whole people, the Israelites, for himself. They were slaves in Egypt and he moved them out of slavery into sonship. He moved them out of slavery and into sonship. In fact, uh, we say sonship, we definitely mean male and female. We don't just mean men. We say sonship because sonship also parallels that Jesus was the son of God. And so that theme is running through this verse as well. But in the Roman tradition, in the Roman tradition, a slave in a household could be made at the father's, uh, at the father's request, could be made a full and included son, And so the the reason that Paul uses the adoption metaphor primarily is to show that your status has changed in relation to God, that he has made you a full son, a full part of the family, and that that is what is now the defining status of your life. You are a child of God. You are a child of God, and you're meant to experience all the benefits of being a child of God. But what stops us? from experiencing the benefits of the child of God. If you look in verse 14, there's one important uh, word that you might, or verse 15, that you might have just glanced over. It's the word fear. It is the word fear. Without a secure, loving relationship with God, we constantly live in fear. Am I enough? Am I good enough? Have I done enough? Have I achieved enough? Are my failures enough to haunt me and weigh me down? 
will I ever be enough? We live in constant fear that we have to secure a new life, a good life for ourselves. Without a relationship with God, we end up slaves to that fear over and over and over. Without a relationship with God, we become slaves to fear. But the antidote to fear, the writer of Romans tells us, is sonship. The antidote to fear is sonship. The way that you feel secure is not by trying harder or being better. It is by being a child of God. Adoption to sonship is the only way that sin can be dead dead. It's the only way that fear can be gone as far as the east is from the west. It's the only way that we find the new life that Christ can bring us in the security of a loving relationship with him. So don't miss this about adoption. Adoption means that you are a full child of God. You have been made a full child. You have been made a full heir. In fact, the text goes on to say that you are a co-heir with Christ. That you have every single right, present and future, of being a child. You have full access to the inheritance of the family, which is the kingdom of God and eternity. Right? You have been given full access. You know your status. Your status is secure. Your future is secure. And that allows you to live into the freedom of Christ exactly where you are. In fact, he goes on to say that, that we share in the sacrifices of Christ. Because when you're secure in knowing who you are, in your status and in your future, as a child of God, you are free to risk. You are free to sacrifice. You are free to let go and trust that you do not need to hold so tightly because God is holding on to you. You are a child of God. And in fact, the only fitting response that the Apostle Paul has is this emotional outburst, right? By him we cry, Abba, Father, which is sort of a, uh, a Jewish way of saying, Daddy, I'm here. You're with me. Let's go. It is the only response is to go, I'm in, God. You have chosen me as a child. Let's do this. Let's go to proclaim that the intimacy that God promises makes a huge difference in our lives that there's a good God and he is on our side no matter what we're going through, which allows us both to endure anything life throws our way, but also to enter into the places of suffering, brokenness, and pain and trust that he is holding us up because we are a child of God. He has adopted us into the family. And the thing is, adoption is an act of grace, None of us can earn it. It's freely extended. The Father has all the agency to extend a welcome into the family, and God freely gives it. He has extended his grace and invited us to be a part of his family. And for all of those who are striving to be better, to try harder, to do better, he says, come be a child instead. And to all of those who feel like, I'll never measure up. I've done too much wrong. I'm too terrible. God could never love me. I'm not deserving. No, but he loves you anyways. And he says, come on in, be my child. God calls you his beloved. He calls you his kid. 
He meets you where you are, but he doesn't leave you where you are. The gospel, the good news of Christ's love for us, it meets us where we are, but it moves us. It doesn't leave us the same. We're changed. We're new for having come close to the God who loves us. Our belovedness calls forth newness. He doesn't leave us the same. You are a child of God. You are beloved. Your status is different. You're no longer the same. Last week, Jonathan Hicks preached on the previous passage in Romans 8, and he said, we need to learn to live in light of our new status. And it is a daily thing that we are wrestling with. God calls us beloved. We cannot stay the same. What difference would it make in your life if you knew in all the places that you went, all the spaces you are, that you are first and foremost a child of God? Brendan Manning was a a Christian author and he wrote a book called Abba's Child. And and in it, he says, while the imposter, when he's talking about the flesh, the false self, while the imposter draws his identity from past achievements and the adulation of others, the true self, our spirit self, claims identity in its belovedness. We encounter God in the ordinariness of life, not in the search for spiritual highs and extraordinary mystical experiences, but in our simple presence in life. We experience our belovedness the same way we experience the love of the Father in the ordinary, everyday ways of life that teaches us. It teaches us that we are loved and we are secure and allows us to live into the freedom and the newness that only that can bring You see, God isn't handing you just some golden ticket to some future thing. He's inviting you into a relationship. He wants to call you child. Will you give over all the ways that you are trying to control your life and master your life and instead instead accept the offered adoption into the family of God? Will you accept being a child of God? And then what would it mean? What would it mean to fill in the blank? If I'm a child of God, if I'm a child of God, then what? How does it change how you see yourself, how you treat others, how you experience? If you're you're in a marriage and you're going through a tough time, but you know I'm a child of God, how does that change the way you see yourself and you see your spouse? If you're struggling to raise your kids, or you're struggling to be obedient to your parents or or to be a part of your family, whatever it looks like, if you're struggling, what does it look like to say, I am first and foremost a child of God? If you're in the workplace or in school or on a sports team, what does it look like to be a child of God first? What difference does that make to know that you are beloved, that your future is secure, your status has changed. If I'm a child of God, then what? A few years ago, I was in a, uh, an event, and it was, a, it was a men's gathering, and they had brought in um, a baseball player, a, a major league baseball player, as the speaker. And, um, and it was a very well-known baseball player. In fact, if I said his name, you would know exactly who he is. He's probably, you know, one of the top 10 most well-known baseball players today. He's won all kinds of awards, personal and team. Um, and he was uh, speaking at this event. So of course it was just packed. And, um, 
uh, the pastor who was interviewing him, um, and, and by the way, this guy, uh, well-known Christian faith, really deep faith. Everyone I know that knows him well uh, testifies to his, his faith in Christ. Um, but he was asked the question, he said, uh, when, you know, baseball has all of these unwritten rules about retaliation, and he said, so you're a pitcher, and, uh, you know, sometimes a player on the other team shows up your team, and so the retaliation is that you have to throw at them, maybe throw at their head. And he said, how do you as a Christ follower, you know, live in the tension of uh, this culture of, like, retaliation and, and getting even with people? Um, and I'll never forget what he said for lots of reasons, um, but he said, uh, you have to realize that I am a, um, I'm a Christian baseball player not a baseball playing Christian. And I'll, dec- I'll decode that if that doesn't. But he said, I'm a Christian baseball player, not a baseball playing Christian. And then he went on to make it clear that what he meant was when he's on the baseball field, he's first and foremost a baseball player who has to do what it takes to help his team win above all else. And that Christian was sort of like this modifier or this adjective or this descriptor that was added on top of his primary identity, which was baseball player. Now, I remember it for lots of reasons, but at least for two. One is, when I heard him say it, I immediately thought, that's not right. Like, it immediately hit me the wrong way. And the second reason was, because everyone else in the room was like, yeah, that's right. And I'm like, wait, hold on. What am I, what am I missing? Now, here's the thing. I'm not trying to throw this uh, baseball player and man of God under the bus. I'm not. I'm not. I, I think what it illustrates is that we all face the temptation every single day to subvert our identity as a child of God whenever it is convenient or inconvenient to be a child of God. But I believe with all of my heart that our identity, no matter what we do, whether baseball player or businesswoman or teacher or peewee hockey player, that our identity is first and foremost, if we follow Christ as children of God, And that child of God is never a modifier to our main identity. It is our main identity. Because when it's a modifier, it allows us to sort of make deals with ourselves and with others. To to be, when it's inconvenient, convenient, we lay our faith aside so that we can accomplish the primary thing that we're after. But if we're a child of God first, it changes us. It changes things. It allows us to bear witness to what Christ has done in us no matter what we're going through. You see, I love being a pastor. I love leading our staff in this church. I love being a father. I love being a husband. But none of those things are my primary identity. My identity is child of God. And that is what shapes everything that I do. And that's what I hope for you too. I hope that you know above all else that you are a child of God and that that shapes everything that you do. Everywhere you find yourself, you are a beloved child of God and he wants newness in you and through you everywhere you go. Let's know who we are because of what he's done for us. Christ has redeemed us. You are a child of God. Amen. I'm gonna invite the band to come back up and to lead us in our closing song. And and as the band comes up, I just wanna leave you with that thought of filling in the blank. If I'm a child of God, then what? If I'm a child of God, then what? Sit with that for a moment.